All right, good morning. Morning, 9 o'clock service. How we doing? We ready for this? Are we ready? You guys have your bagels, your coffee, you're awake? Got your Christmas shopping all done? Okay, fair enough. Just a reminder, Christmas is on the 25th, in case you forgot that. Randy, nice shirt. Kind of an annual thing for you guys, huh? Oh, all right. The tide is turning. Woohoo! All right. Hey, we're, uh, we're super excited to kick off this brand new series called Christmas Hope. I hope you brought your Bibles. Uh, so if you, if you brought that, go ahead and pull that out. Uh, if you didn't bring one, we have uh, Bibles in all the chairs in front of you, or you can pull up your phone to YouVersion or our uh, church app has it on there as well. You can, if you're going to use our church app, it also has Take a Note. Uh, with different sections in there where you can take personal notes and fill in the blank. Uh, but we are going to be getting a workout on your fingers and your wrists uh, flying through a bunch of scriptures this morning, and I would love to see Bibles open. Um, it will certainly be on the screen if, if that's not your thing, and that's fine. Um, but if you do have a Bible, we'd love to have you uh, open those up. If you want to preemptively open up, you can just open up to Matthew chapter 1. That will give you some time to find that. Uh, I am a man who goes by a lot of different names, uh, much like you. If, especially if you're a grandparent in this room, uh, you probably have a lot of different names that you're called uh, as well. Uh, obviously, my God-given uh, name through my parents is Brian, B-R-I-A-N, often confused with brain, B-R-A-I-N. Uh, but I'm called Brian. I'm also called by some, uh, both here and throughout the United States, Pastor Brian. Uh, when I was with the Ventura Police Department, I was referred to as Officer Hayes. Uh, my, uh, when I'm in a very uh, formal setting, uh, like the airport or something like that, I'm referred to as Mr. Hayes, uh, which makes me feel like it's my dad. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, Mr. Hayes. My kids call me dad. Sometimes they slip and call me daddy, which I just don't like the E part, so I like to be called dad. I try to correct them at any time. And for whatever reason, I just don't like being called daddy. Um, although, uh, I'll just let that go. So, um, <laughs> I feel like the Holy Spirit's giving me more discernment along the way, which is really good. <laughs> Uh, Sandy calls me sweetie, um, so that is a, a glimpse into our world. You might give her some suggestions on what she might call me, um, but that's what she's chosen for now. When I was in high school, I was called Purple Haze uh, in sports, so that was kind of my nickname is, is Purple Haze. And uh, also, when I was a, a police officer, I was called uh, a few other names um, by those who were not fond of police officers. Um, and those are colorful. If you'd like to hear some of those names offline, I'll, I'll let you know those. Um, many different names that I go by, and you probably, maybe not a, a younger ones, um, but a lot of you older ones are probably, you have a lot of different names that are attached to you as well. Chris Tisea, do you have a nickname? Uh, you have any nickname that you go by? Or anyone calls you? What does Christy call you? Leather pants? <laughs> wow. 
Okay, so we will have a, um, a prayer vigil for the Tesea family. Good thing your parents aren't here. Wow. All right, so Leather Pants is in the house. So we, all, we have a bunch of different names that we go by. This morning we're starting a, a, this series called Christmas Hope. And, and really the idea is that we're looking and into the names given to Christ, uh, most notably at birth. We're looking at the names in Scripture that we read about that are given uh, to this baby when he is born. These names we will see all throughout the series, culminating at... Uh, Christmas Eve shed light on how the, the Christmas gospel message, namely this baby that is born, brings light into darkness by means of hope. And so we, we want to understand that. It's kind of an Advent, if you've been around the church for any length of time, it's kind of an Advent series as we approach Christmas Eve. And the whole intent is that we get our hearts and our minds focused on not just the Christmas message, because the Christmas message, we can kind of wrap our minds around pretty quickly, but the Christmas message on what it means for us moving forward. That's really what we want to uh, focus on. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. It's the very beginning of the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, you can kind of go to the midway and then start hanging several uh, books to the right. Matthew chapter 1, as we look at our very first name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is the name we're going to be looking at. So let me read uh, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now let's stop there just really quickly. We'll give you some insights along the way. Uh, pledged to be married. Uh, back in the Bible times when you were pledged to be married or to be engaged, Marissa and Sam are engaged. They're this beautiful couple over here. When you are pledged to be married, uh, back in the Bible times, it was a legally binding contract. You were actually under the eyes of the law, not under the eyes of God, but under the eyes of the law, you were considered to be married. So to break that was considered breaking the law. In fact, if you were to break off a, a pledge or, or an engagement, if you would, using our terminology, then it was considered divorce. If you were to fool around with someone else during that period of being engaged, that would be considered adultery. And so in this text, we find out that Mary and Joseph are pledged this legally binding contract to be married to Joseph. But they came, but before they came together, that is to have sexual relations, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is going to be something that Matthew continues to push us on a regular basis, that Jesus comes to us by means of the Holy Spirit, by God himself. And that's going to be something that Matthew continues to reinforce to us. And that's going to be very, very important, especially for this morning as we unpack Emmanuel. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to any public disgrace, he had in mind to, again, here's our word, divorce her quietly. Why divorce? I thought they weren't married. Again, they were pledged to be. Verse 20, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife 
because, again, here we find it, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from all their sins. Very important. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. We see this in Isaiah, verse 23. The virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we're looking at this name, Emmanuel, and we really want to understand this particular name. There's two very, very significant truths. That's all we're going to look at this morning in regards to this name. Two very significant truths that we can take from this God-given name, Emmanuel. Number one is that Christ is God. Christ is God. Emmanuel means Christ is God. God. This is, you might say, well, that seems pretty obvious. That's kind of a, a, a normal understanding for evangelical Protestant churches is that Christ is God. But it's important for us not just to understand it from the head knowledge, but for what does that mean to our life? Christ is God, God with us. Matthew tells us that an angel instructs Mary and Joseph that the name of their, pa- their baby should receive the name Emmanuel, fulfilling this prophecy. Matthew actually quotes 47 different Old Testament prophecies, Old Testament writers referring to the birth and what was going to take place in the life of that baby throughout. And why is that? Well, remember, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. So if you were smart to know your audience, you would say, well, what do they know? Well, Matthew's audience knew their Old Testament writings. They knew their scriptures. So when he would reference things, he would bring something that they would really, really understand. And in addition, from a God perspective, show that the prophecies were being fulfilled. And so I want you to put your thumb in this uh, passage here in Matthew chapter 1 and turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. It is to the left in my Bible. It's about a quarter of an inch um, uh, of going to the left. Uh, Turn to Matthew, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Here's what is said. Therefore the Lord himself, actually, let's, let's hold off on that. Let me explain something very, very quickly. Before we get into this text, I want to make sure we understand the context of it. The year is 735 B.C., 735 B.C., and there's a king that's out there. His name is King Ahaz. Anybody ever heard of King Ahaz? Maybe read about him as you study the scriptures. King Ahaz is the king of Judah. And in this particular time, when we get to chapter 7, Isaiah, uh, King Ahaz is in big trouble. He's got two competing armies that are flanking him, and they're about to attack him. And the king is literally freaking out. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to this king to tell the king, you need to settle down. God's got this. And so Isaiah, the prophet, the mouthpiece of God, approaches the king. He says, listen, everything's going to be fine, but you need to breathe. You need to sit down. We're going to be fine. I'm going to explain how this is all going to work for you, Mr. Sir King. 
And what he says is, God is going to deliver to you as a sign that everything's going to be okay in the end. He is going to give you a sign, and the sign is actually going to be a virgin who is going to give birth to a boy, and his name is going to be Emmanuel. So far, we understand this a little bit, right? You guys with me? Everybody with me so far? So he gives the king Ahaz this information. He goes on to say that God is going to deliver you, and as a sign, this baby born to a virgin, before he reaches puberty, God is going to deliver you. Now, hopefully, some of you are starting to do the math a little bit. It's interesting that this prophecy actually came true about a dozen years later. So who was the virgin boy that was told to King Ahaz? Experts say it was this little boy named Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I don't know if any of you are, are thinking about having a child or you are with child right now and you're looking at baby names and uh, you know, Sam and Marissa, as you guys talk about your future, this might be one you just tuck away as a potential. If you really want to make a splash, um, then maybe Maher Shalal Hashbaz might be for you. Okay, um, this is actually Isaiah's son. Isaiah and his wife have a son. We'll call this little dude MSHB for short because I don't want to have to keep saying it. So MSHB is born to this world. And the, the wife that Isaiah marries is a virgin. Isaiah's first wife earlier passed away from illness, and Isaiah remarries a virgin, and they give birth to MSHB. So why does Matthew, here's a question for us, why does Matthew say over 700 years later that Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecy found in Isaiah. That's something we must wrestle with if we're going to understand the scriptures. He says this because the first fulfillment of the prophecy was only partial. It was a partial fulfillment of prophecy. Now turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7 again, and let's read this. Isaiah chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself, this is what Isaiah is speaking to King Ahaz, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings, these two armies that are approaching, will be laid to waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria modern-day kind of Iran in that area. If you notice, some things don't change. If you go to that area, it has always, from biblical times, had a difficulty with strife and battles and wars and people groups not getting along. So now turn with me to uh, Isaiah, one page over, chapter 9, verse 6. We get our absolute famous 
prophecy in Isaiah, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is a more fuller, more complete description of the prophesied child. Now we have a few questions that come with this. What mere human could ever fit this description? Certainly not MSHB. MSHB couldn't fit it. Certainly, my children can't fit this. With all due respect, your children, as, as incredible as they are, we see them all over social media because somehow you think we forgot what they look like. And so I know you're very, very proud of your children. But your children cannot. I don't know how many of you go to your work parties and go, let me tell you about my kid. Maybe Leather Pants does this, but uh, you, know, you, you go to your work and you go, let me tell you about my kids I call them wonderful counselor. When my kid comes home from school, I call him mighty God, prince of peace. At night, I even call him everlasting father. I doubt any of you refer to that. So the question certainly becomes, what mere person that's described in that way can measure up? Go with me to chapter 9, verse 2. The people who are walking in darkness, they have seen a light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Speaking of this person, I don't know how many of you say, just wait, when my kid gets here, the light will dawn on all of humanity. And so who is it? Who is it that can find it somehow within their being to be this? Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 tells us that this person must be God. Must be divine. Must be not of this world. Must not be MSHB. Must not be your kids and my kids. The complete fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. In Mary's baby, conceived by God. This is essential. This is essential for us to really wrap our minds around. Why? Turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. I told you we're going to be flying around a little bit. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom. You and I are sinners. In fact, we can't go a day without sinning. And when we disobey... When we walk away, when we, when we disengage from the creator of life, from the king of all kings, when we do that, the Bible says that the penalty for those actions is death, is darkness. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Go ahead and open that even if you already know it. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. It's death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The penalty for our actions, the penalty for our sin is physical, eternal, rejecting of the giver of life. It's death, it's darkness. And Jesus comes on the scene into our world to give his life as a substitute for our life. Jesus comes to bring light to the darkness. And not just for one life. That would somehow be something that we could wrap our minds around. But Jesus doesn't come at the Christmas season to substitute his life for one life. It's not like he saw Brady and was like, all right, let's just switch. Jesus comes on scene to switch, to substitute his life for potentially billions of lives. Billions of people. And it makes no sense how one life could do that unless that life be of infinite eternal worth, infinite eternal value. So how can that one life, how can Jesus, that one life, be of infinite eternal value, infinite eternal worth? It still isn't quite computing. Unless that life is fully man and fully God. Unless Jesus Christ is God himself. God who is eternal. God who's always been. God the uncreated creator. If Jesus is going to fulfill a ransom for the mass... He must be fully God. And Jesus is the only possible Savior. Emmanuel, in part, means Christ is God. Are you guys with me so far? Number two, one of the truths that we see regarding this name is that God is near. Emmanuel means God is near. God is with us. God is with us. When I'm away on travel, I will call home, and I love to hear the sound of Sandy's voice. Even to this day, even when we were dating 20 years ago, and I still love to hear the sound of her voice on the phone. It makes me happy. I feel loved. I feel warm inside. I, I'm called sweetie. But I always wish she were there with me. As much as I love to hear her voice, I wish she were there with me. I wish she was with me wherever I am, even though I can talk to her on the phone. And we're wired for that, right? We want people near to us, especially during this holiday season. We want our loved ones. It's great to talk with them on the phone. You guys can call your Aunt Ethel and, and talk to her and really enjoy that. Or you can call your mom, or you can call your dad, or you can call your sister from across the United States. But there's something very special about having our loved ones right near us. 
We're wired for this. This is how God designed us. And so turn with me to Genesis at the very, very, this one will be an easy one for you to find. It's the very, very beginning of the Bible, and it's the very first chapter. So we're going to make it super easy. Genesis chapter 1. We are going to be looking at how are we wired for a withness. How theologically, how do we understand this? And, and, and more than how do we understand this, how do we appreciate Christmas to its absolute absolute fullest. We do this by looking at some of these passages. Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 26. Then God said, as he's making creation, let us make man in whose image? Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move around the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. So what does it mean that God created us in his image? image. Theologians have wrestled with this for centuries. In fact, if you want to do any kind of significant research, there's an incredible amount of books that really unpack even just this one part of scripture. They call it the Imago Dei. How many of you ever heard of the Imago Dei? Imago Dei is the idea that we are created in the image of God. You'll see a lot of churches that are named Imago Dei, or you'll see a lot of books. Go ahead and uh, research that. One of the best ways that we know that you and I are created in God's image isn't that we have muscles and some of you have are blessed with hair and, and hands and, and, and the ability to speak. We go, well, I'm creating the image of God. One of the significant ways that we're created in the image of God is we were created to be relational beings. Relationship. God says, then God said, let us make man in our image. God is described in the scriptures as the Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. And he builds into his creation this relational need, this need for each other, this need to care for one another, this, care to, this need to love one another and to be there for one another. He builds this into you and I. Even you introverts, you are built in for relationship. You might reject that. You might push. Even right now, you're like, uh, man, if, if I were an extrovert, I would argue that. You know, like you just, you feel that. And I want to say, even you introverts, you were created for relationships. God has designed you for a relationship with himself, and he's designed you for a relationship with others. That's his intent. And then Genesis chapter 3 happens. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. It is only one page. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they what? What did they do? They hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There's a couple things that stand out with this. Number one, uh, if you think you can hide from God, let me know how that goes. 
God is out for a stroll in the Garden of Eden in the cool of day. If you've ever been to uh, that part of our world, it is blistering hot during the day and it cools off at night. So the writer would, would describe this so that people would understand God himself is out in the coolness of the day late afternoon and Adam and Eve hide from him. Why? Because they sinned. They sinned. They, they distanced themselves from God. They disobeyed. They, they rebelled against the giver and the sustainer of life. That's what they did. And the result is their inner being wants to hide from him. And remember, what is the punishment for disobeying, for sinning against God? What is the punishment? Death. Death is the punishment for rejecting the giver of life. Darkness, separation, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual separation from the giver of life for all of eternity. That is, the Bible says, the wages of our sin, the results of our sin. So God sends eventually his son into the world to this little town of Bethlehem and he is given the name Emmanuel. God with us. In fact, it says that he is given the name Emmanuel, God with us, while we were still yet sinners. We're slowly unpacking the miraculous event that took place that Christmas night because something is changing. Something's happening. God is making it right. God wants to be near his people once again. That's, that's what the greatest mark of a Christ follower is, that withness, that with you, that with you in your classes, at your place of employment, in your marriage, as you're raising kids, as you're going through life. He is with you. He's with you in agony. He's in, in with you in defeat. He's with you in joy. He's with you in victory. God is Emmanuel. He is with you. That's the most notable experience of a Christ follower. Grounded in his truth, in good days and in bad days, his nearness. And so I have to ask you, is that, is that true of you? Do you have the nearness of Christ with you today? Do you have the nearness of the creator of the universe walking with you in the context of your life today? It begins when you surrender your life to Christ, but it doesn't stop there. It's a day-to-day, moment-by-moment experience, this awesomeness and awareness of taking advantage of God's nearness to you in Emmanuel, God with you. You see, God with us is what theologians call omnipresent, always with us everywhere we go. Did you know that this is, uh, this is the most 
uh, stated phrase in all of the scriptures, I will be with you. There isn't a single phrase in all of the Bible that is said more than I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. Why does it have to be reinforced over and over and over and over again? Because if you study each and every one of those moments where God says, I will be with you, there's a connection, there's a pattern, and that is this. God is for those who put their faith and trust in him. God is is not just with you, he's for you. God, God isn't just governing, he's not just watching over the world, he's actually for you. He, he's a believer in you. He's your biggest advocate, he's your biggest cheerleader, he believes in you, he's excited for you, he'll help you. Emmanuel means God with us, and that means God is for us. He's got your back. He's in your corner. When things are hard, he's got you. You're not alone. I'm going to give you several scriptures here as we get ready to close, but don't, don't turn to them. You might write down the passage and, and, and do that, but you're not going to get to them fast enough. We remember Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 says that his master saw that the Lord was with him. This master who is governing over Joseph, he saw that his, his Lord was with him. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The famous psalm, Psalm 23, for you art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You are with me. Isaiah chapter 43 reminds us that when we pass through the stormy waters, the Bible says, I will be with you. That means when life is hard, when it's complicated, when you want to give up, when you see no rest in sight, God is saying, I am with you. I am Emmanuel. And that means you have something to hold on to. And that is, I am with you. Haggai chapter 2 verse we have this great commission. Be strong, all of you in the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. I am with you. And then we have the great commission in Matthew 28. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you want to know how it ends? You want to know how the Bible ends it all? If we go to the very end, you can read it on your own. Revelation chapter 21. John is writing this. He's getting a glimpse of how it's all going to work out in the end. He's getting a glimpse of, of this withness, how it's, how it's finally going to culminate for eternity. And this is what John says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among His people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. You know, one of the greatest distinguishing traits of heaven someday, it's, you know, maybe your golf game's gonna be perfect. Maybe you won't have to diet. You'll have a full head of hair. There's gonna be no more crying. You'll have perfect eyesight. And all of that may be true, maybe not the golf game. But you know one of the greatest distinguishing marks of heaven someday? God will be there. God will be with his people because of Emmanuel. And I don't know what you face today. I don't know what this, what this holiday season is bringing about for all of you. I, I don't know that. I don't know what the highs and lows that you have to face in the midst of this season. And they are many. I know that. But I do know this, with, with all of heaven's truth and with the full backing of the inerrancy of Scripture, that Christ, that little baby, is God. And that Christ, that little baby, is with you today. And He's not just with you, He's for you. He's in your corner bringing light to darkness and all of this that brings Christmas hope that helps us hold on to hope is all wrapped up in this one name given to that baby Emmanuel God with us and that my friends is what gives us the ability to approach this table in communion to receive that It reminds us that he is with us as often as you eat and drink. uh, You remember me. It reminds us us of his witness with us in the course of our lives. And not just with us, but he's for us. And so as you come to the table as Christ followers, please enjoy his witness with you in the midst of whatever you're struggling with or dealing with. Please join us on the sides as you approach the table and go back to your seats up the middle and enjoy our time of worship.